I am beginning to suspect that when they designed powdered wigs, they did not have microphones in mind. And, and there is a bit of interference there. So with Ben's permission, which I saw beforehand, I am going to take this off so that I'm not messing with it the whole time. I can, I can feel the anticipation in this room. I can, I can tell ever since I announced that we are going to be going through the kings of Israel and Judah, that you have been just eagerly waiting for the day that we would finally talk about King Asa. And the day has finally arrived. Right? This is, this is who you've been thinking about the whole time, right? I don't know about you, but I knew very little about Asa until this series, and that's mainly because I usually read through the book of Kings when I look at the Kings, not the book of Chronicles. Today we're going to be in the book of Chronicles looking at the reign of King Azza. And the reason why we're looking at Azza is because our goal in researching, in, in reading about the Kings is to learn from them what it looks like for us to be faithful with the responsibilities and the authorities and the influence that God has given to us. The kings of Israel and Judah were given a very specific job and a, a responsibility, an authority over God's kingdom on earth. And in their careers, we can see the pitfalls and the opportunities that are involved in that. None of us are officially kings and queens, but we are all delegated some kind of responsibility in the kingdom of God, even if it's just the daily interactions that we have with people around us. And so we want to use that responsibility well, so we're going to learn from the example of these kings. So today we're going to talk about King Asa. So let me catch you up to where we are based on where we left off last week. We left off last week with King Solomon. We started with Saul. Um, God took the kingdom from Saul and gave it to David. David's throne was inherited by Solomon, his son, and that's who we talked about last week. And at the end of that story, God told Solomon that because of his unfaithfulness, that he was going to take most of the kingdom away from his son. He promised David that David's family would always have the throne, and so he's not going to take the whole kingdom away, but he's going to take away most of it. Right? So Solomon's son is named Rehoboam. Rehoboam makes some very poor choices. And because of that, a guy that we met last week named Jeroboam leads a rebellion, and 10 of the 12 tribes secede and form their own kingdom, which we start to call the kingdom of Israel. So you'll see the kind of beige, purpley, like the most unpleasant color up there is Israel. Green is Judah right beneath it. Uh, do, I, do I? Oh, hey, there we go. Judah. That's the tribe of Judah. They're the ones who stayed loyal to the king. And then this is Israel. Okay? So we now have a divided kingdom. And from here on out, we are going to focus on the kings of Judah. And after Jeroboam, the throne was inherited by his son Abijah. And then after Abijah, this is son Azah. So we're a couple generations down from Solomon. And in Israel, there are, there's another line of kings. So from Jeroboam to Nadab to Baasha. Except in Israel, there's a lot more assassinations and coups and stuff. But in Judah, it's all the line of David. So Rehoboam, not a great king and uh, not very faithful to God. His son Abijah, not much better. And so now we're going to look at King Azza, and he's not really set up in terms of the family tradition. He's not set up well. So the question is, how does Azza do in reigning over Judah? Surprisingly, it says, Azza did what was good and right in the sight of the Lord his God. He removed the pagan altars in the high places. He shattered their sacred pillars and chopped down their Asherah poles. 
He told the people of Judah to seek the Lord God of their ancestors and to carry out the instructions and and the commands. He also removed the high places and the shrines from all the cities of Judah, and the kingdom experienced peace under him. So the measure of the success of a king in these books is really focused on how do they deal with idol worship in Israel or in, in Judah. And if they allow idol worship, that's a really bad sign. If they counteract idol worship, then that's a very good sign. And Azza starts out really, really strong. He comes in after his, when he takes the throne and he says, all right, guys, we are going to follow one God and that God is going to be Yahweh of Israel, the God that got us out of Egypt, and we're going to follow him alone. So let's get rid of all this other stuff. So massive religious reforms. And for the first 10 years, Azza ruled over God's kingdom faithfully. All the information we're given about him in in, uh, 2 Chronicles about this part of his reign is positive. Not sure where he learned it, definitely not from his family, but he does a good job. But then comes the test. Says Zerah the Cushite came against them with an army of one million men and 300 chariots. They came as far as Merishah. So Azza marched out against him and lined up in battle formation in the Zephatha Valley at Merishah. So the Cushites, they are a, uh, that's a kingdom from Africa, and they bring a million men, which nowadays is a lot. Back then was really a lot. You didn't see armies of a million people very often. And so after 10 years of peace, Azza is invaded by an army of a million men. His army is about 500,000. So he's outnumbered two to one. And this is, where, um, this is where kings of Israel and Judah really struggle. This is where uh, Saul struggled, was when he was going into battle, he had to decide how is he going to try and win that battle. Because God had told Israel to approach battle in a very specific way. It says, when you go out to war against your enemies and see horses, chariots, and an army larger than yours, do not be afraid of them, for the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, is with you. It says, it doesn't matter if they have more people than you. In fact, after this, he goes through this process of a reverse draft, where he says, then I want you to go through and ask anybody if they have the slightest excuse not to fight and send them home. Because you don't need soldiers, you need God. So the question is, are you on good terms with God? That's what will determine how you do in a battle. If you're on good terms with God, nothing else matters. Now that's hard, because that means going into battle with 500,000 against a million and just trusting that being on good terms with God is enough. But that's what they were supposed to do. And later, when Solomon dedicates the temple, this is an important part of the book of Chronicles. He, may, he says this prayer about the way God's people are supposed to interact with uh, the temple. And this kind of sets the norm by which we measure the kings coming after him. Because God, God endorses what Solomon says. Like at this point, Solomon was do, still doing things right. In his prayer, Solomon says, When your people go out to fight against their enemies wherever you send them, and they pray to you in the direction of this city you have chosen and the temple that I have built for your name, may you hear their prayer and petition in heaven and uphold their cause. So what you're supposed to do when you go into battle and there's more men than you, and, and you're, you know, militarily it looks like a disaster is headed your way, what you're supposed to do is pray to God and make sure that you are good with God and that is your main that is your priority, and God will take care of the numbers. Okay? 
This is where the first king of Israel, Saul, failed. And this is a continual temptation for the kings of Israel and Judah and for us. So how does Azza do? It says, Azza then cried out to the Lord his God, Lord, there is no one besides you to help, the mighty, to help the mighty and those without strength. Help us, Lord our God, for we depend on you. In your name we have come against this large army. Lord, you are our God. Do not let a mere mortal hinder you. Pretty good. It's actually exactly the kind of thing that he's supposed to do. So when the Cushites invaded, Azza faithfully obeyed God's instructions. Surprisingly, he, he said exactly what he was supposed to say. And as a result, God kept the promise that he gave them. It says, that, so the Lord routed the Cushites before Azza and before Judah, and the Cushites fled. Then Azza and the people who were with him pursued them as far as Gerar. The Cushites fell until they had no survivors, for they were crushed before the Lord and his army. So, because of Azza's faithfulness, God defeated his enemies. Exactly like God said he would. This is exactly the deal. This is exactly what God described for them. In fact, after this battle, God sends a prophet to speak to Azza, because it's really important. Positive reinforcement is important, right? When your kid does it the right way, encourage them. Um, we have a new dog. When the dog does it the right way, encourage them, right? Like that's, that's important positive reinforcement, right? So here's God doing some positive reinforcement. It says, the spirit of God came on Azariah, son of Oded. So he went to meet Azza and said to him, Azza and all Judah and Benjamin, hear me. The Lord is with you when you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you abandon him, he will abandon you. For many years, Israel has been without the true God, without a teaching priest, and without instruction. But when they turned to the Lord God of Israel in their distress and sought him, he was found by them. As for you, be strong, don't give up, for your work has a reward. Basically, this is God saying, nailed it. Do that more. That thing that you just did, this pattern that you started, keep going. This is exactly what I want you to be doing. All right, so keep acting like this. Keep being faithful in this way, and I will keep showing up for you. Learn from this. Okay? So what does Azza do when God cues him up to learn from this thing? Actually, surprisingly, he does pretty well. It says, when Azza heard these words in the prophecy of Azariah, son of Oded the prophet, he took courage and removed the abhorrent idols from the whole land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities he had captured in the hill country of Ephraim. He renovated the altar of the Lord that was in front of the portico of the Lord's temple. Then it, uh, Judah entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their ancestors with all their heart and with all their soul. All Judah rejoiced over the oath, for they had sworn it wholeheartedly. They had sought him with all sincerity, and he was found by them. So the Lord gave them rest on every side. They're doing great, right? They nailed it again. This is exactly what they're supposed to be doing. They learned the right lesson, and so they continued with their faithfulness to God. They figured out that if God can, can defeat a million Cushites, then maybe we should side with him. Maybe we should keep going this way. And they do awesome. And God gives them peace for another 25 years. So Azza ruled over God's kingdom faithfully for another 25 years. 35 years of faithfully ruling over the kingdom of Judah. It's a good career. 
And Azza would be remembered better if this was the point where it said he was gathered to his fathers and his son took the throne. But Azza's got six more years to mess things up. In the 36th year of Azza, Israel's king Baasha went to war against Judah. He built Ramah in order to keep anyone from leaving or coming to King Azza of Judah. All right, so Israel, the northern kingdom, declares war on Judah. And they, don't, they haven't invaded yet. They've started building up the fortresses along the border. Unlike Cush, they actually border Judah. So he starts building up and blockading, building up the fortresses and blockading Judah. That's not a very effective blockade because Israel only borders like, I don't know, like a quarter of Israel's borders. So it's not a very good blockade, but it's enough apparently to intimidate Azza. Now, Azza has been reigning faithfully for 35 years, and he can still, I don't think you ever forget that time that God defeated a million Cushites for you, right? Like that sticks with you. That's really motivated his, uh, his loyalty to God for the last 25 years. And so what do we expect when a much smaller kingdom declares war? They haven't even invaded yet. When they try, they won't have a million men. This is a very different proposition from that time that God beat the Cushites. So what's Azza going to do? I mean, we, we already know. He's got the pattern, right? He's, he's learned how to be faithful to God. So, of course, he's going to do the right thing. So Azza brought out the silver and gold from the treasuries of the Lord's temple and the royal palace and sent it to Aram's king, Ben-Hadad, who lived in Damascus, saying, there's a treaty between me and you and between my father and your father. Look, I have sent you silver and gold. Go break your treaty with Israel's king Baasha so that he will withdraw from me. Ben-Hadad listened to King Azza and sent the commanders of his armies to the cities of Israel. They attacked Ijon, Don, Abel-Maim, and the storage cities of Naphtali. Then Baasha, when Baasha heard about it, he quit building Ramah and stopped his work. Then King Azza brought, brought all Judah, and they carried away the stones of Ramah and the timbers of Baasha, the, and the timbers Baasha had built it with. Then he built Geba and Mizpah with them. So in the past, he has seen God defeat a million Cushites um, when he was outnumbered two to one. But when Israel starts to threaten, Azza pawned the temple treasure to buy allies. And that's essentially what he did. He didn't have to go through a pawnbroker, but he took all the gold and silver from God's temple and he gave it to Aram to buy them off and to get them to switch sides and attack Israel from the other end. If there, I, if there is a clearer way to show his priorities, I don't know it, right? The fact that he didn't just, instead of going to God, give his own treasure to this guy. Instead of going to God, he gave God's treasure to this guy. If there, I mean, right, that is just so blatantly showing where his priorities are, where his trust is, how he, who he expects to save him. He took God's treasure and gave it to Benadad. Who does he think is going to save him? Benadad. After 35 years of faithfulness, you know what this tells me as I'm on the younger side? I don't get to rest on my laurels. There isn't a point at which I say, okay, faithful life, established, it's going to be smooth sailing from here, autopilot. 
Because apparently, after 35 years of being faithful, you can face one more battle, a relatively minor one compared to the ones you've won in the past, and stumble. Now, why, what changed? I don't know. Maybe he really just didn't want to go out to battle again. Maybe he thought, my battles are in the past. I'm tired of putting on my armor. It doesn't fit the same anymore. I want to win this in a way that I get to stay in my palace. Maybe, maybe he had lost trust in God and it was too hard to go out and really risk his army. Because if God doesn't show up, your army gets destroyed, everything's gone. Right? It's a genuine risk to go out into battle every time, even when you have the stronger army. I don't know what it is that um, caused him to lose faith. Something did. And God responds. God sends another prophet to speak to him. And this time, the seer Hanani came to King Azza of Judah and said to him, Because you depended on the king of Aram and have not depended on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped from you. Were not the Cushites and the Libyans a vast army with many chariots and horsemen? When you depended on the Lord, you hand, he, he handed them over to you. For the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth to show himself strong to those, for those who are wholeheartedly devoted to him. You have been foolish in this matter. Therefore, you will have wars from now on. That, that word foolish is exactly what Samuel says of Saul when Saul trusts in his army instead of God. That was foolish. You had the creator of the universe on your side and you picked human beings to trust in. That was foolish. And so God continues his pattern that the consequence of this is, I'm going to let you live in the world that you created. You're going to have wars from now on. Why? Because you're going to have the kingdom that your alliances can create. And, that, and the kingdom that is protected by buying off alliances is one that is constantly caught up in conflict. When you're faithful to God... God can do a lot that Ben-Hadad cannot, right? And so that, that peace that God was giving them is gone. Now he only gets what his alliances can give him, which is constantly fighting for protection, constantly fighting for safety. So because of Oz's unfaithfulness, God stopped fighting his battles. I'm not, he says, you're going to get what your actions create. Now, this king has 35 years of experience being faithful to God, and he has made, as far as we know, his first mistake, and he has been confronted by a prophet. Now, David, who hadn't been reigning 35 years yet, when he made a very big uh, error, he was confronted by a prophet, and he repented. So we should have a lot of hope that Azza can say, wow, you're, you are right, I really messed up. That is not the kind of person that I want to be. That's not the kind of king I've tried to be these last 35 years. I am, I'm going to recommit. I am so sorry. And, and, and repent. And, and there's, he has all that potential to set things right again, right? And what we know about God is that God is a sucker for someone who repents, right? Like, yeah, praise God, right? God... God constantly, when someone repents, says, okay, we're good. 
right? Like he forgives, he, he'll, he will give dire consequences, and then you repent and God says, okay, never mind. I won't do any of that terrible stuff that I said. I was gonna completely erase Nineveh from the planet, but you guys, uh, you guys mourned for a couple of days. Okay, never mind, we're good, right? Like God wants to forgive, right? So what does Azza do knowing this about God? Azza was enraged with the seer and put him in prison because of his anger over this. And Azza mistreated some of the people at this time. In the 39th year of his reign, Azza developed a disease in his feet, and his disease became increasingly severe. Yet even in his disease, he didn't seek the Lord, but only the physicians. Azza rested with his ancestors. He died in the 41st year of his reign. So Azza refused to repent and be faithful again. Why did he refuse? Again, we don't know. And I think, we talk about this in the, our How to Read the Bible class, I think the reason the Bible doesn't fill that in, is so that we can ask the question, well, what reasons could there be? There could be a variety of reasons, and one of them might hit closer to home for me than others. Maybe it was pride. Maybe he didn't want to admit that he had done the wrong thing, so when he gets confronted by a prophet, he doubles down. I do that. Now, at this point, it's more important that I be right, that I protect my record as a wise king who makes the right decisions. I can't tell people that I, I can't admit that I did something wrong in public. Maybe something happened in his life that, it depends on what motivated him to lose faith in the first place, but whatever that was, it caused him, even when he's only made one mistake, to commit to it and to continue making that mistake. And that mistake now becomes his lifestyle. It becomes his walk with God. And that's how he ends his life. With a disease that God could have cured. God can cure any disease, but specifically it says he could have sought God. So he dies because of a foot disease. That's a hard way to go for someone who was faithful to God for 35 years as a king. So what does this teach us as we are called to uh, fulfill our responsibilities in the kingdom of heaven? Well, there's a key thing that I want us to remember as we look at this story, because one of the reasons why I ended up using the book of Chronicles instead of Kings is because there are some real gems in the book of Chronicles that I hadn't noticed before. And you may have seen them come across the screen as we've been reading this story, but here's, here's the first verse I want to highlight to you from these, when these prophets confront King Azza. The eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth to show himself strong for those who are wholly devoted to him. And that's kind of a long sentence. You can kind of get lost by the time you get to the end. So here's a simple, oh, where's my simpler translation? I thought I had a simpler translation that would probably come up later in the slides. The point is, we often think that God is up there watching for us to make a mistake. And he's either got a clipboard or a lightning bolt. He's either ready to zap us when we make mistakes or he's keeping track so he can give us one really good zap at the end for all of them. But either way, God is up there watching for us to put a toe over the line. That's how we think of God. What the prophet here is saying is God is watching you, but he's not watching for opportunities to zap you. He's watching for opportunities to save you. The eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth, looking for opportunities to show himself strong to those who are devoted to him. 
God is up there watching you, not watching for you to put a toe over the line in the wrong way, but watching for opportunities to support you. Watching for opportunities to support his people. That's what God's eyes are doing. And this is what King Azza needed to hear. This is what the prophet told him is, remember, God's eyes are watching you. When, when you see a million Cushites coming at you, remember, God's watching for opportunities to support you, opportunities to protect you, opportunities to show off the fact that he protects his people. Okay? Jesus points this direction when he tells the disciples, he sends them out to make disciples of all nations. He says, remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. I'm with you, not to, not to you know, keep track of your faults, but to support you and to help you accomplish the mission I've given you. God doesn't send us to do anything alone. In fact, during the Last Supper, Jesus tells them four or five times, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. The message that the God of the Old Testament and that Jesus in the New Testament give us is that God is alongside us to support us. He is looking for opportunities to support us. Here it is. The Lord keeps close watch over the whole world to give strength to those whose hearts are loyal to him. Now here's the tricky thing, though. When we talk about this, we have to thread a theological needle. Okay, we have to watch out for two different extremes. Because notice what he says. It says, The Lord keeps close watch over the whole world to give strength to those whose hearts are loyal to him. Okay? So God supports his people when they are faithful to his design for the world. He supports his people when they are faithful. You'll notice that this is a common theme in the promises that Scripture gives us of God's support for us. It says, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Notice that the emphasis is on those who love God and are participating in his purposes. And this is a needle that we need to thread because I think our culture is in the middle of a shift. Christian culture is in the middle of a shift from one extreme to another. And I want us to catch the, min the, the middle as we pass it. Okay? Because if you listen to a lot of, of um, contemporary worship music, you will notice a theme. Uh, I, I googled this and I found a Fighting My Battles worship playlist. Because this is a recurring theme in worship music. So, <laughs> so... See a victory by Elevation Worship. I'm going to see a victory for the battle belongs to you, Lord. You take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good. I am not alone by Carrie Job. Joby? Her. Uh, I am not alone. You will go before me. You will never leave me, Lord. You fight my every battle. Oh, and I will not fear. Desert Song. And this is my prayer in my battle. When triumph is still on its way, I am a conqueror and co-heir with Christ. So firm in his promise I'll stand. I'll bring praise. I will bring praise. No weapon formed against me shall remain. Song called Stronger. You make us stronger. You win every battle, God, when you rise up, enemies scatter. You've already won. I'm fighting a battle that you've already won. No matter what comes my way, I will overcome. Uh, battle belongs. When all I see is the battle, you see my victory. When all I see is the mountain, you see a mountain moved. 
Now, this one I like because it pivots into the chorus. It says, when I fight, I'll fight on my knees with my hands lifted high. And that reflects what we see King Azza doing when he does it right. Now, any one of these, if you love one of these songs, please don't worry. I'm not saying that you're a bad person for loving them, especially because we sang one of them today, right? The lion and the lamb. He's roaring with power and fighting our battles, right? Not saying that any one of these songs is wrong. Okay? But as we sing them and as we're encouraged by them, it's important for us to remember to thread that needle because a note can be in tune until the chord changes and then it can be out of tune, right? And there's an important thing for us to remember that the Bible never says that God is winning your battles no matter what they are, no matter what battle you, no matter what fight you pick, right? That's not what it says. God is not my hitman or my bodyguard. Okay. It does say that God is faithful and he is looking for opportunities to support his people. He is not my hitman. Let me show you another way, an important way to thread that needle. There's a song, uh, Your Love Never Fails, and the, the bridge is, you make all things work together for my good. Now that is a paraphrase of a verse that we just looked at, but notice the difference. In this song, it's work together for my good. In Romans, it says... In all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So it is true to say that God works all things together for my good, so long as I love God and participate in his purpose. That's why I say none of these songs are wrong on their own. Okay? And, and we should be encouraged that God is fighting our battles. But he's fighting our battles when we join with him not because he just follows us around. This is what the prophet said to Ozzy. He says, the Lord is with you when you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you abandon him, he will abandon you. Now, as we convert that into the New Testament, that is not saying that God will abandon you as a person. Okay? He's talking to a king, and he's talking about the king's reign and his policies, that God will abandon Azza's reign and stop supporting him. So don't, don't walk home hearing me telling you that you're this close to being abandoned by God. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that the Lord is with you when you are with him. Okay? Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Jesus says that about people who talk a good talk, but don't actually obey God. Don't actually participate in his mission. We lose God's support when we stop obeying his design. Now, notice I'm not saying we lose our salvation. What I'm saying is we lose God's support when we're not in his design. You know, someone who, who knew this uh, was Abraham Lincoln, which is ironic because scholars really debate whether he was actually a Christian or not. But he, somebody said... Um, do you believe that God is on our side? And he said, I think it's more important that we're on God's side. Right? When we say that God wins our battles, that's another way of saying that God wins his battles, and when we participate with him, he wins our battles too. 
What I want us to most key in on here is the character of God. What, what this tells us about the character of God, which is that he is looking for ways to support you. He is looking for ways to win the battles in your life, but he will not win your battles at the expense of his own, right? And so our responsibility is as far as we can to make sure that the battles we're fighting are in the same direction as his. Doesn't mean you have to be perfect, otherwise God would never be winning anybody's battles. What it means is that God, God, is eager to support you. He is eager to be on your side. And all we have to do is make sure that we are working to be on his side. Now that is really hard because our constant temptation is to pick the wrong battles and say, no, the battle I have is to get this promotion at any cost or to be popular in this group of people at any cost or to do this thing at any cost. And God may say, that's not my battle. We have to be willing to let go of those battles to be a part of God's battle. We have to be willing to say, I know it's been 35 year, 25 years since I last put on my armor, but I'm going to strap it on again and head out there. Because that's how God told us to do it. And ultimately, the last thing that I want to key in on what the prophets say is this. As for you, be strong. Don't give up. For your work has a reward. It's another way of saying that whatever it costs us to be faithful to God's design and God's plan, it is absolutely worth it. It is absolutely the best battle for you to be fighting. Amen? I'm going to invite the praise team to come up, and as they do, I'm going to ask you to consider what response is God prompting from you in this moment. Maybe you have not given yourself to God's kingdom. Maybe you have not committed yourself to following Jesus, and today is the day that you need to do that. I encourage you to follow through on that decision, to come forward as we sing the last song, or to come and talk to me after the service, or if you're online, contact the church office or contact a Christian that you know and trust, but don't let that moment pass without committing to following Jesus. Maybe you have, and you realize that you're in a stage that's a bit more like the end of Oz's reign than the beginning. Remember that it is never, just like it's never too late to stumble, it's also never too late to repent and return. So today is the best day for you to recommit to building God's kingdom instead of your own. Today is the best day to recommit to faithfulness and to focusing on God's priorities for this world and for your life. And maybe you're looking to be a part of a community of people who encourage each other and build each other up and help each other to follow God's design. That's who we are seeking to be as a church. And so we'd love for you to uh, get more connected with this congregation, whether you're participating in small groups or classes or placing your membership, joining one of our service teams. But God doesn't call you to do this alone. He calls you to do this with his family. And we are one gathering of his family. And we would love for you to join with us in that journey. So I encourage you to consider what decision God is putting on your heart as we stand and sing our final song. Please stand.